Okay, good evening. Thank you for coming. Tonight's Sheer and CD this week. Hashem should protect. Last week the CDs, Baruch Hashem, are back. Uh, that's a very, very happy thing. Anyways, the Sheer and the CD this week was dedicated by Enoch Kimmelman. And this is in honor of his mother's upcoming yard site on Friday, the 14th of Shvat. Pesi Bas. Yechil Meir Oliva Shalom, Meir Nishama have a great, great aliyah to the greatest of heights. And may she channel lots and lots and lots of blessings to you and your family for all that you need and all that you want in the Megashmias, the Baruchnias, in the material and in the spiritual. Thank you very much. Another dedication was by the entire Bistamsky family. Um, and this is in honor of the yard site of a sister of theirs who passed away a few years ago. Mahama Basya Bas Rabavram Yitzchak. Her yard site is going to be on Sunday, the 16th of Shvat. May your Neshama have a really great aliyah to the greatest of heights. And uh, may she channel lots of bracha to the whole family um, and to her children. And only, only, only good and mazel for the entire Bistamsky family. Thank you for that dedication. Another dedication was again by the Bistamskis. This time it was by Sharon and Ushi Bistamski. And this is dedicating the shear in honor of her son Noah's birthday, which is tonight. Happy birthday. The 11th of Shvat. May Hashem bench him with the Shnaz Brach and Hatzlach and a wonderful good year. And uh, may your family uh, get to see you grow up. Uh, give a lot of nachas for them. You should grow to be a real mensch and a lamdin and a chassid and only, only, only good. Thank you for that dedication. Another dedication was by David Feldman from Chicago. And this is in honor of David's father's yard sites coming up on the 17th of Shvat, Eliezer ben David. May his neshama have a great, 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 great aliyah to the greatest of heights. May he channel lots of brachas down to you and your family for mazel bracha and only, only good things. And we should merit already to see Mashiach Tzedkenu and to experience the ultimate redemption. May it happen now, 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 and now. Okay, now that we've done all those dedications, it's time to learn something. Uh, tonight, this week is Parshas Bishalach, 
And tonight actually is the night going to the third day of Parshas Beshalach, Tuesday Parshas Beshalach. It's circulating on all these different channels of circulation in which news gets around through the various different WhatsApps and Facebooks and all the other ways that Hashem has made it available for us to increase our unity with each other and to pass on healthy, good information. And hopefully the big, big news that Mashiach is here, we should be able to WhatsApp that, one, two, three, on all the chats across the whole world. Unbelievable. In any case, on some of these WhatsApps, not only now, but already from a few years already, there is a segula, a great segula for Parnassah from a very, very, very great tzaddik, Rabbi Mendel of Rimenov, um, one of the great holy students of Rabbi Lamelech of Lezensk. Um, I'm taking the opportunity now to mention, because I am announcing it this week, since I am mentioning Rabbi Mendel of Rimenov, that as we have done last year, a trip to the uh, graves of the great tzaddikim, and it was very, very special. We are rolling out one Be'ezus Hashem for this year as well. So if you want more information, look out for your email. It should be coming out soon. I'm just letting you know that this is going to take place um, beginning in the end of April, going into early May. It's going to be actually about a week and a half, uh, 11-day tour around all really, really special. One of the graves we're going to be going is to the city of Rimenov, to the great Sadik of Remendel of Rimenov. In any case... Ramendel of Rimenov has a big segula, and that is regarding Parnassa, in which he says that on Tuesday, that on Tuesday, um, one should, um, on Parshas Bishalach on Tuesday, one should say Parshas Amon. And when you say Parshas Amon, it's a big segula for Parnassa. So tomorrow, it's a good thing to do, to say Parshas Amon. Um, now, it's brought down that one should say Parsha Saman every day, or quite often. I just saw it in the Tzemach Tzedek, that it's very, in the Ura Torah from the Tzemach Tzedek, that it's a very good thing to say the Parsha Saman quite frequently in order to strengthen very strongly our Ramuna. But being that I men- I'm mentioning Ramendel of Rimenov, who, who tells us a Segula for Parnas, I am going to mention a little story about him, which illustrates... Uh, why he's so connected to Mon and Parnassa. Uh, Ramendel was such a poor man. The Mamish, they didn't have anything to eat. Mamish didn't have anything to eat, him and his family. Very, 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 very poor. They were so poor, Ramendel of Rimenov. Uh, very, very poor man. And um, one time, he was on his way to Luzensk, and um, on the way going, he saw a gold coin on the floor. Imagine, you know, for someone like him, a gold coin. I mean, this was, this was a Parnassa for three months. You know, this was a great, a great a livelihood. So, of course, he was excited, and he, and, he, and, he, and he ran to the coin, and he was ready to pick it up. And he was ready to pick it up, and this is a man who's living so, in such attachment to God, such attachment. So as he's ready to pick it up, he thinks to himself, well, if God wants to give me this coin, why doesn't he give it to me? Why do I have to go bend down and, and pick up the cup? I pick up the coin. Isn't God in charge of feeding all of his creations? Now, I'm not giving anybody advice to actually do this. Okay? This is a different... These are righteous people that live in a different frequency. But this is the world that he lived in. 
And he said, well, if this was supposed to be my coin, then God would give it to me. So what did he do? He said, no, I'm not taking it. And he left, and he continued on to the town of Luzensk, as poor as he was before. When he got there, his Rebbe, the great Tzaddik Rebbe Lamelech, was in Luzensk. He wasn't going to go into him right away, so he went to the shul, and he took out a book, and he started studying Gemara, the Talmud. As he is studying the Talmud, in the midst of his studies, as he's studying, suddenly a man walks in, looks like a wealthy man. And the man comes running over to him and says to him, Hey, sir, do you want this coin? I have this coin. He says, and he shows him this gold coin. So he says, he looks at him. He says, I'll tell you what happened. I was coming here on the road, and I saw the gold coin, and I picked it up. Then I thought to myself, you know what, I'm a wealthy man. I don't need this gold coin. I have enough money. You know, perhaps someone needs it. So I figured, you know what, the first poor man I'll see, I'll give it to you. I came into shul, you look pretty poor, destitute, and you're sitting and learning, do you want the coin? And he gave it to him, it was the same coin. See, if it's meant to come to you, it's going to come to you, this way or that way, it's going to get there. Anyways, this remendal of Rimenov tells us that for a segula, meaning a good omen to, to have our livelihood, and to always, that God should always give us our parnas, our livelihood, it is a good thing to say every day the Torah portion that speaks about the man, which is the mana, which is this week's Torah portion. Sorry, not every day. To say it on Tuesday tomorrow. Once a year, Pasha's Peshalach. So that's why tonight I'd like to discuss the man. And hopefully besides this being a big merit for all of us and everyone, that God should provide for us our livelihood without, without us having to work too hard for it, but also even more importantly, to open up the channels of faith and trust in each and every one of our hearts, to know that it's not us that are the makers of our livelihood, the sustainers of ourselves, even though the American way of life is so built on the idea that we are in charge of our own future and we're the ones who really take care of ourselves. But that's not, that's all, it's not, it's not the truth and particularly not the truth in regards to the Jewish soul. We are a miraculous people. We are a miraculous nation. Our existence has no natural um, basis. And therefore, our day-to-day livelihood is also miraculous. Of course, being living in the world, there's all kinds of concealments and blockages which distort the truth and make us fall for this kind of, uh, for, the, for the illusions and for what everything else that the world presents to us as if we really are the sources of our blessings. But that's not true. Now, it's related to mainly to the existence of the Jewish people in the 40 years when we, went out of the, when we, when we were in the desert. This year, in part, this week's Torah portion, we read how the Jewish people left Mitzrayim. And when they left Egypt, they, end, they wander into the desert. This week, the Torah portion tells us about the splitting of the sea. And after the splitting of the sea, they actually entered the desert. They had provisions that they took along with themselves when they went out of Egypt. They took along leftover matzah and some other food, which lasted them for a, for a month, for 30 days. From when they left Egypt to the 15th day of Iyar, and, they, and they, they, they were still eating from the matzah that they took out of Egypt. But then, at that time, suddenly the, their, their, their provisions... Um, was used up, and now they were stuck. They were stuck in the wilderness without a morsel of food, 
and there's nowhere to go. They were deep in the wilderness, and they're there, three million people. And what are they going to do? There's nowhere, there's no, there's no civilization anywhere. So, of course, what do they do? They call out to Moshe and they blame on him, right? He's at fault. What you do over here? What you do? So irresponsible. What you do with us? He brought us in the midbar. Anyways, they cry, and God, they complain, and Moshe brings their complaint in front of Hashem. And Hashem tells Moshe, I am going to provide for you. And God gives them this miraculous bread, which came to them for 40 years. Every single day, bread fell down from heaven. And they all had what to, what, what to eat, what to feed their families. There came down exact portions for every member in the family. And if you tried to grab more, because you figured you know, you'll have some extras to put away for tomorrow, you came home and it disappeared. You only had enough for every single member in your family. You had a baby, you had another, the family grew. Guess what? The mun that came down from heaven came down and it increased. And that was when we the Jewish people was, were in our infancy. And this was supposed to teach us a lesson. That even though God is going to, after a while, send us into the natural existence, like all the other nations and all the other people in the world, we hopefully will have the memory of the 40 years when God's spoon fed us the mun, and we'll have the understanding that now as well, when it looks like we are the ones based on our our, our business uh, mind and our, and our abilities and our, and our talents and all this that we think that we're really the source of our livelihood, it's really not true. It's really coming from God. Now, in order to get a better understanding on this, we see and we find an interesting thing, that the man is very deeply related to the day of Shabbos. Okay? Shabbos, which is the seventh day of the week, the rest day for the Jewish people. So, Mun and Shabbos go hand in hand. Where do we find that Mun and Shabbos are connected? We know that the laws of observing, observing of, of the observance of Shabbos, the first time they are related in the Torah, the mitzvahs, the, the laws concerning Shabbos, is in regards to the Mun. Of course, not all the laws of Shabbos, because all the laws of Shabbos are very perplexed, and there's so many laws and Shabbos is going to be introduced next week in the Torah portion by the Ten Commandments. It's one of the Ten Commandments, remember the day of Shabbos. However, already in this week's parsha, we have the Jewish people keeping Shabbos um, related to the Mun. So we see that Mun and Shabbos are connected to each other. There's also another interesting law brought from one of the great sages known as Reb Sadia Goen. Okay? So he writes an interesting thing. If you are far away in a wilderness, in a place where you don't have a calendar, and you lost count which Torah portion is supposed to be read this week, you don't know. So you want to read from the Torah, but you don't know. Uh, so what should you read? It says that, that no matter which Shabbos it is, you should read Parshas Bishalach, the Parsha of the Mun. Because the Parsha of the Mun is applicable to every Shabbos. Why? So you see again, because Shabbos and Mun are together. Shabbos and Mun are the same theme. They're connected to each other. Now at first glance, what is the connection? What is the connection between Shabbos and Mun? Mun was a, a, an event, a powerful event. It was a gift that 
that was an occurrence, it was happening, but it was only happening during a specific short period of time in our history. Only for 40 years. That's, that's when we had the man. After that, the man vanished. We still have one jar of man put away. It's hidden somewhere. God tells Moshe to take a jar of man, put it away, and hide it. And it's hidden together with the ark. Wherever the ark is hidden, the ark of the covenant, the luchos, together with that, the jar of the man. So it still exists, but for all practical purposes, we don't have man. Shabbos, on the other hand, is something that is not dependent on any particular time of history. Shabbos is eternal. Shabbos is here with us all along, and it's not, it's not, and it's not um, relegated to a particular space or a particular time. Shabbos, you keep Shabbos everywhere across the world, and it applies to all time. So then what is the connection of Shabbos and Man? Now, one could argue and one can say that both of them, Man and Shabbos, have a certain similarity in that in both of them, you don't have to work. Man was that we were provided to by God. God took care of us. And we did not have to do any exertion. It didn't require any toil. It didn't require any effort on our end. God delivered Amazon delivery every day to the doorstep. Unbelievable. We had the man come to us. And, like, and that's very different than the usual means of providing a livelihood. Usually providing, providing a livelihood is extremely exhausting. It takes out all of our efforts, all the hard work we have to do in order to make a living. But when it comes to the man, um, the man um, came to us without, without any effort, without any work. And in a sense, the same thing is Shabbos. Shabbos is a day we don't go to work. It's a day off. But not only is Shabbos a day that technically we don't work, psychologically, on Shabbos it says, a person may not be perturbed at all about their work. Again, it's not a pro... Meaning, Shabbos were not a lot of physically work. There's also many prohibitions on Shabbos in regards to discussing work. On Shabbos, you're not supposed to talk about your work. And in addition to that, it says in Halacha, that in, if, if one wants to keep the mitzvah of Oneg Shabbos, Oneg Shabbos means the delight of Shabbos, of having the pleasure of Shabbos, one should prevent themselves or try not to think about any work on Shabbos. To completely remove it out of your mind and to believe that all your work is done. It's as if everything is done, there's nothing to do. And we should know that Shabbos really helps us. It's just when Shabbos comes, there's a certain deep serenity and peacefulness that comes upon us. And we really do forget. And we should forget. And that's the way it is. Sometimes if there's something extremely um, intense happening in our life, some, some in regards, especially in regards to talking about the business and parnasa, it can be a challenge to try to remove all that of your mind and be totally relaxed and calm and know that it's Shabbos today, I have no worries and I have no concerns. So in that sense we can say, that that's where Shabbos and Man are go together because they both represent the idea of not going to work, not having to labor. However, further careful analysis will say it's not exactly the same. First of all, in Man, the, the, the refraining from work in Man was only in regards to food. 
In other words, everything else, people were able to work during the time that they were in the, in the desert. You can do all kinds of other labor and other kind of work. If someone wants to redo their tent when they were in the desert and make their tent a far nicer tent so they can sew and do and make and whatever and build, it was permissible, there's no problem. I'm not talking to Shabbos in the desert. I'm talking about a regular day. The only relaxation, the relaxation that the man brought was work in regards to food, in regards to earning a livelihood. Shabbos we know, however, we refrain from all kind of labor and all kind of work. So then it's not exactly the same. In addition to that, Shabbos, one has to see his life and his livelihood as if completely taken care of. Everything I need to do, it's all done already. There's nothing to worry and nothing to be concerned about. Not so when it came to man. Even though man, as we said before, God provides the food, but it did require some kind of an effort on our part. What was the effort that was required on our part? The effort was, it says like this, the sages tell us, in Tractate Yuma, Daf Ayin Ches, I think, or Ayin Hey, page 75 or 78, the Gemara tells us in Yuma that the man did not come down to all the people equally. There were three levels in the recipients of the man. Tzadikim, people that were perfectly righteous, to them the, the man came down to their doorstep. We said before, Google delivery right to their doorstep. To those who um, were average, they weren't very righteous, but they also uh, weren't wicked. They just were kind of average in the middle. To them, they had to go out to collect the money. Because the verse says, the Jews would go out and collect the money. And then those that were wicked had to go far to find their money. It says, Shatu'am, the people went out looking for money. So it wasn't just going out outside, and you know, I don't know how far you had to go if you're an average individual, but you had to definitely go out and bring the man home, go out to collect the man, as opposed to finding it at your doorstep. Those that were wicked had to do some exploration until they found their man. I can see these guys sitting around, it's right 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, I'm just having the image. Did you find yours already? No. Did you find? No, I can't be. I found one, but it's got 10 portions. And I only have seven. And, if, and the guys knew already. They'll try to pick up the one with the ten and they'll come home. They'll only have seven anyways. So I can see the guys that were like out there like nine o'clock, ten o'clock, eleven o'clock. And finally until he found his package. And this was a daily activity. Which we find that the righteous people found it instantly and others not. That's one. Secondly, the t- sages say also another difference. In the, in, the, in the state of how the food was. In one word, verse it calls it Bread. In another verse, it calls it cakes. And in another verse, it says they had to put it in a grinder, which you do with kernels. So the, Gemara, the Talmud tells us, well, the man came differently. To those people who were righteous, the man came as bread. It was baked. They didn't have to do anything. They had their bread ready to eat. To those that were average, it came as cakes. Cakes meaning not cake, like we know cake. It came as dough, kind of a dough, whatever kind of dough it was, ready it, but it had to be put into the oven, toaster, microwave, whatever they had for a little, just to get it ready to eat. Those who um, were wicked, to them, first of all, they had to go look for it. Finally, when they got it, it was in kernel state. They had to grind it. And uh, basically, you knew very well when God was not so pleased with you. 
when you live when you're in the midbar and when you need to fix fix your fix up your act. But what do you see? Even the righteous needed to do some kind of effort in the fact that they had to go to their door, open the door, and take the money in. As opposed to Shabbos is a time we don't work at all for a livelihood. We don't do anything. Even the food, we prepare all the food earlier. So it would seem like the connection between Shabbos and Mun cannot be merely this idea of not having to work. There must be something else. So it makes sense to say that the connection of Shabbos to the Mun is not in Shabbos in general, but in particularly in terms of food for Shabbos. Our Shabbos food. Shabbos is a big day, it's a full day, and it's got a whole bunch of things to it that, that make up the Shabbos. But a very big deal on Shabbos is eating. That's what we do on Shabbos. Spend a lot of time on Shabbos eating. And it's a big mitzvah to eat on Shabbos. And there's something unique about Shabbos food. And that's where Mun and Shabbos are similar. In the Shabbos food. And we see that halachically, we find that there are many connections between Shabbos food and Mun. Number one, we know that regularly according to the Torah, one should eat only two meals a day. The third meal a day, that's an American invention. Lunch. Or they, they, one in the evening, one in the morning, out of American. I don't know where it started. But according to Torah, one has to eat twice. Once in the morning, once at night. Um, then, um, but on Shabbos is the only day in which we eat three times. Maybe the reason why today everybody eats three meals a day or should is because we're getting closer to the day that's going to be completely Shabbos. And then we're going to have three meals a day. But in any case, um, Shabbos, three meals. Now, how do you know that on Shabbos one should have three meals? So the Talmud derives it from the story of the man. By the man it says, in one of the verses, it says three times the word Hayom. Hayom today, is when the people came to Moshe and they complained, how come there was no man? Because on Shabbos, Mun didn't fall, and the people said there's no Mun. So Moshe Rabbeinu explained to them, no, the people didn't come on Shabbos, the people came on Friday. And they said, how come we received double? We all came home and we found double portion. So Moshe said, because, because um, God gave you extra for tomorrow, because Shabbos the Mun won't fall. Okay? On Shabbos itself, the Mun won't fall, so you should have it. Now, but then it came the next day. Now generally the rule, one of the rules by the Mun, which we're going to see soon, was that you're not allowed to leave over Mun from one day to the next day. All the mun needed to be consumed on the very day you got it. You weren't allowed to put away for tomorrow. Shabbos, and if you did, it became, it got a horrible stench. It started to stink and it got wormy. And no one wanted to deal with that. It was horrible. And it didn't just stink like in the house. It stunk up the whole neighborhood. So everybody was very careful. No one would leave over mun overnight. Um, the, the, but on Shabbos, they were supposed to leave the man over because they got double portion on Friday. So it says that they came to Moshe and they said, the next morning, we left the man, are we allowed to eat it? So Moshe said, yeah, eat this man today because it's Shabbos Hayom. Hayom lo simtsu basad that today you will not find it in the field. That verse says three times the word Hayom. So the sages learn out, which means today. The sages learn out from there that today on Shabbos, we are supposed to have three meals on Shabbos. Three times Hayom. So you see that the Shabbos meals are derived from the man. Another thing, we know that on Shabbos we break bread, we eat the hamoitzi 
And we, we take two full rolls, two complete chalas. This idea that you're supposed to have lechem mishnah, double bread on Shabbos, which we don't do during the week, by all Shabbos meals, is because by the month, two on Friday, they had double bread, and it's called lechem mishnah, so therefore we do have the month. Another thing we do on Shabbos that we don't do all week, we cover the challah with a special covering. And the reason for that is because when the mun came down from heaven, the mun came down packaged. It was, there was dew like a sandwich. There was dew on the bottom, there was dew on the top, and there was mun in the middle. That's the way the mun came. So when we on Shabbos, on our Shabbos food, want to commemorate the mun, so we put a cover over the challah. Beneath that, there is a tablecloth. So now you have the two covers, and you have your Shabbos food, which is man-like. So we see that in so many things, Shabbos food is related to man. So that's the connection. The connection is not in Shabbos in general, it's in Shabbos food. So now let's get a little deeper and understand what's the depth of this connection, of man to Shabbos food, so that we can have a complete deeper appreciation in the food that we cook for Shabbos and eat on Shabbos, and a complete transformation in our minds of how we need to approach our livelihood to begin with. Now the ideas that I'm going to discuss tonight, we spoke about of, in, in the same context. A couple of months ago, Parshas Ekev, I gave a class with many of these ideas, similarities, but because the subject is so important, and because the lesson is so pertinent, and because there's some news today that I did not discuss then, we're going to repeat it. Okay? So the idea is as follows. When it comes to um, the man, when God tells the Jewish people, I'm going to give you man, Hashem says to, to them as follows. Hinani, this is in Perek Tezayin, chapter 16, verse 4, verse Pasuk Talit. Hashem says to Moshe, I behold and am bringing down to you bread from heaven. And the people should go out and they should collect this bread. Every single day. So that I can test him. If he will go in my Torah, if not. So God is saying, I will give you bread. Now, God is also telling us the purpose. Why am I giving you bread? Hashem says, I am giving you bread so I can test you if you will observe my commandments. That's the purpose of the man. This will be a test. Rashi says, how is the man a test if we observe the commandments? So Rashi says, because the man had certain rules. There were commandments regarding the man. What were the commandments? Rashi points out to two commandments. And God was testing them. Will they keep these commandments or not? What are the two commandments that Rashi says, says the Jews were being tested with? Number one, if they will leave over for tomorrow. Okay? They're commanded by God not to leave over to tomorrow. And the, and the test is going to be, will they leave over? They might be tempted to leave over. So Hashem is going to test them if they will do that or not. Number two, Second idea, mitzvah, related to the man. The second mitzvah, related to the man, that Rashi says, that they should not go out on Shabbos to collect. 
The man is going to fall for six days. It's not going to come on Shabbos. I'm going to test them to see that they shouldn't go out on Shabbos to go search for a man. Now, um, obviously it seems like the test was only a one-time test. Because if you get mana and you leave it over for tomorrow and it starts stinking, you're obviously not going to do it again. And it gets wormy, so what's the point? You might do it twice, that's it. So even though this is going to last for 40 years, the test was only the first time. Also the test, if you're going to go look for man on Shabbos, how many times are you going to look for man on Shabbos if you did it once, twice, three times, and there's no man out there on Shabbos? Because whatever fell yesterday, by the way, you should know, all the man that fell the day before, when the sun rose and it started um, getting hot, the man would melt. And, it would, and it would, uh, there would be no more months. You couldn't have, outside there wasn't any leftovers from the day before. It had to be new month every day. Okay. But these are the two things. So we need to understand, is there a connection between these two mitzvahs, these two commandments regarding to the month? Not leaving over for tomorrow and not going out Shabbos to collect. Are these two in any way related? So this will be understood as follows. We need to essentially understand what is man. Physically, we, know, we don't know exactly what it is, but we know it was some kind of a super nutritious food, prepared from the best stuff made in heaven. Right? Snapple has the best stuff on earth. Man was the best stuff in heaven. God prepared it for us. It came down here. That's what we know it is. What is the concept of man? Man is lechem min hashamayim. It's bread from heaven. We eat bread usually called lechem min haaretz. We make a blessing. When we eat our food, we make a blessing. Hamotzi. And what's the blessing? Hamotzi lechem. God, you're the one. I thank you, God. You're the one who brings forth bread from the earth. When they ate the man, the Mepharshim tell us, the Jewish people also made a blessing. The blessing they made was a complete different blessing for 40 years. The one who gives us bread, who brings forth bread from heaven. And I'm sure it was pretty hard when you went into the land of Israel and you had to switch your blessing, that I'm sure people still forgot and would, and would say, oh, I made a hamotzi lecha min hashamayim. You had to switch. Bread is now coming from earth, not from shamayim. What's the difference between lecha min hashamayim and lecha min aretz? Besides... If it's coming from up there or coming from down here. Difference is simple. The bread that comes from heaven doesn't require your participation. You don't do anything. The bread comes down, it's there, fine. You're not involved in doing anything to, to get that bread. It's there. Okay, you might be involved a little bit at your doorstep or you go out and look for it. Or whatever. But the bread, it's finished, it comes from above. When it comes to bread from the earth, it's a whole lot of work that needs to be done. Because we're used to picking up bread in the bakery or in the market. But that's not really where bread comes from. Right? Bread is a process. Okay, you, all you have, you start off with earth, plain earth. And that's the source, that's where it's going to begin. Then you have to go out and you have to plow the earth. After you plow the earth, you have to sow the earth with, all the, with the wheat, with the kernels. And then after that, it starts, then you have to water it. And you have to do all the other work. Farm work is extremely, excruciatingly different, difficult. Hard, hard, difficult labor. Finally, finally, after all this hard labor, all this time, you get the wheat and you have to cut the wheat and thresh, thresh it. And then you have to do winnowing of separating the, 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 the chaff 
from the kernels, and then you have to take them, then you have to dry them, and then you have to uh, the, the, the grind it, and then finally you make it into flour, and the flour is mixed with water, and then you have to bake it, and after all, and knead it, and bake it, and after that you have bread. It's a whole lot of work. Obviously we understand that as smart and as wise and as brilliant as we are, we don't have the power to take earth and turn it into bread. Obviously we realize that God is our partner all along. That to be able to take plain earth and be able to turn it into kernels, which eventually turn into delicious, hot, good, yummy rolls from earth, obviously we can't do that. And there's no scientist in the world that can do that from earth. It's God that does it. But God wants that you should be a participant and work hard that you will be able to get it. That's the difference between bread from heaven, bread from earth. Bread from heaven, God says, let me do it myself. Bread, bread on earth, God says, I want you to work along with me. Let's do it together. Okay? Now, we understand that it's not just a difference in essence. The difference is also in terms of appreciation. Meaning in the way we, the effect that it has in our experience, in our awareness, in our life. When we are receiving, when we are receiving bread from heaven, we acknowledge and we understand that God is our provider. It's not a big deal. It's a normal, it's a, it's a regular thing to understand and appreciate because what? <laughs> what are you going to do? Again, let's go back to the Jewish people in the wilderness. They literally were dead. They had absolutely no way that they were going to survive, even if their people would come trucking in food. How long would it take for them to people to come trucking in food, pulled on camels and stuff, to be able to provide them, if they were going to go order it? By the time the people would go to call the people to bring the food, until they would amass all the camels and donkeys and whatever would need to schlep the food in, haul it into the desert in the middle where they were, time they would have gotten back, everybody would have perished already from hunger. And remember, remember let's understand something. You realize what's going on over here? You're going to sleep at night in a wilderness, in a howling, empty wilderness, and there isn't a morsel of food anywhere in the next hundred mile radius, each direction. And there's three million people going. You know why there's no morsel of food? Because everybody had to eat everything up. You can't leave anything over for tomorrow. There's nothing there. And you have to go to sleep calmly, very calmly, and know that you're going to be provided for. Well, when the man comes down, it becomes very, very obvious and very strongly emphasized. God, I love you. You take care of me. You're the one. I'm, I'm, I have modani lefanecha. Hashem, I thank you, Hashem, so much that you're keeping me alive. Okay? When it comes, however, to bread that comes from the earth, and bread coming from the earth doesn't only mean bread. Bread coming from the earth means the general idea that our survival requires our participation. And your participation doesn't have to be a farmer. Your participation can be that you're an accountant. Your participation can be you're a doctor. You're a lawyer. You're some other professional. You work on Wall Street. Your profession is you're a manufacturer. You're a salesman. You're a this or you're a that. And you work hard day and night. And you have all kinds of business dealings and meetings and contacts and customers. And all, a whole world is spinning around you. Oh, that's called bread coming from the earth. That's bread coming from the earth. Now, 
If you're a Jew who believes in God, a Torah from the Torah, then you know what? That God is the one who gives you your parnas. At the blessing, the verse says, it's very, very clear, we have to know this. If I don't have God's blessing, then no matter what I will do, I will fail. It won't work. I receive my sustenance because God decided to give me my sustenance. And the proof is, there are 10 other people doing exactly what I am doing, and they're not making it. And this store is shutting down, and this company is going out of business, and this is going down the drain, and this happened over here, and for whatever reason, it's working for me. It's nothing to do with my business, it's because I need God's blessing, and Hashem is blessing. However, the verse says, God will bless you in all that you will do. That means that you need to do. And when you're doing, God will send His blessing in that which you're doing. So over here, because there is a because there is some kind of a um, partnership, because it's working together with Hashem's blessing. So, and even in that, there are many levels. There are levels where a person is very weak, very weak. Their spiritual awareness is very, very small and very weak, which means their sense that God runs the universe and God is involved in every little, tiny, little, minuscule detail is not really, is very, 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 very minimal. They don't feel that. They don't sense that. So even if in the back of the mind they're a believer, they believe in God, but the point over here is something like this. I know, of course, I need God's blessing. That's why I go every day to shul, and I pray, and I say, Baruch Aleinu Hashem, bless me. And I know God is going to... But in what? There is a world, there is, there, is the ru- there is such a thing called the rules of economics. And that's a reality. That's independent of God. There is such a, there is an economy. And there is the rules of economics. And for this there are entire schools and classes and people study and professors and books and they study how economics work. And how one's the best way to make, right? You may want to make money. People go to spend all their, <laughs> this is the whole billion dollar industry of college, of school, to all to be able to educate people to be able to be successful in their business. Okay? So I, re- I recognize that. Now it's only that I need God, in other words, to me and to the person, you feel very strongly that my business is of, and that, that that which, whatever the profession is that I'm doing, has validity, has power. It's only that want that I need God to give me His blessing. Or in other words, one can believe that God can ruin it for me. So I'm asking you, God, please stay out, don't ruin it. Let, let it happen. Or one can take it a step further. Not Hashem, don't ruin it for me. I really feel that I need your blessing and success. But I need your blessing for something that I believe really has power and really has strength and really is, has content to give me a... No, but we're going even deeper than that. Someone that recognizes like this. There's absolutely no reason whatsoever to me engage in any business venture or any other means of earning a living. If I recognize God's full and complete control over the world. And he decides, and he alone decides, who will eat and who will not eat. And I cannot change that one tiny bit. So really there is no reason, like I told the story at the beginning of the class, of the rabbi who said, Ramendel of Rimenov who said, if that gold coin is mine, I don't even have to bend down to take it. If it's mine, it will come to me. And it was his, so it came to him. If it's not mine, then, what, then you know what happens? If it wasn't his, he would pick it up and lose it in the end. Right? So, and he knew this. So then, I know that there's absolutely no content to what I'm doing. Why then am I doing it? Why then am I doing it? 
because God commanded me that I need to make a vessel. And I need to do something that does have some kind of a possibility to bring it. If God commanded me, and we once discussed why did God command us to do that. And the answer is because God, as we discussed, God wants to remain anonymous. God doesn't want to run this world with open miracles. Or else there would be no free choice. So therefore God remains hidden. So he wants us to play along in this game, in this facade called nature and business and all this to go along with it so that we're... But, but even if we do that, I'm saying, even if we do that in the highest level, in other words, I don't give any true respect to all these business dealings that I'm doing. I'm just doing it because I am told to do so. And I know that my pranasah comes from Hashem. Here's the deal. You cannot help but be impacted by it. It definitely has an effect on you that one believes maybe 90% that God is fully in charge, but there's a little space for a feeling and a sense that I too am responsible for my success. But when you're receiving blood, from, I mean, you're receiving bread from heaven, then it's without a question. Of course it's only Hashem. Do you understand the difference? Bread that comes from heaven leaves us with a very, very clear and sharp awareness that all that, I, that I'm completely dependent on God. I'm completely dependent on a higher being. Bread that comes from earth, even if we approach it from a very, very true, holy, godly perspective of Torah, recognizing that God is in charge and I'm only doing that because Hashem wants me to make a keli, a vessel, through which He will give me the blessing. I once gave the example, a way to understand. What do you mean through which God is giving you the blessing? If someone gives you a check, or someone gives you money, but they're wearing a glove while they give it to you, are you going to contribute 90% is to the person who gave it to me? Thank you very, very, very much for that check. It was really nice for you giving me my bar mitzvah present. Really nice. And I also want to thank the glove for having... It's cold outside, the guy's wearing a glove, and he wrote the check wearing the glove. Does that make any sense? What does the glove have to do with it? The fact that he's wearing a glove and giving it through a glove. You see, these natural means of Parnassah, all these channels are a glove through which God is hiding to give you your Parnassah. If so, why? But yet, if you're receiving it from a glove, you, it's very hard to walk away in a way where you don't... Where, where, where you, where you completely sense that this is coming from Hashem. So that's a very big difference of the way it was when it was in the Midbar, and when the, way, the way it was when we were in the desert, we were receiving man from heaven, lechem in Hashemayim, versus receiving lechem in Aretz, receiving a bread from, from God. Now we'll also understand, first of all, why um, when the Jews were in the desert, What's the reason God says, I'm giving you the man? We said earlier, what's the reason? I will test you if you will keep my commandments. One of the, one of the tests, what were one of the commandments? Remember we said there are two, or two tests. One of them, whether you'll go out on Shabbos to collect. But the other one was whether you'll leave over from today till tomorrow. You see, the point of 40 years for the Jewish people being in the desert was that the people should come to a very powerful and strong conviction that they are in the hands of God Almighty, and that there's nothing else in charge over their life. They are completely, 100% in Hashem's hands. Now, and they have to rely. This is what Hashem wants. 
in the midbar, God did not want you to do anything for your parnasa. He wanted to hammer it in deep, 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 deep inside of you on understanding and appreciation that you have a creator who created you, made you, and because he created you and made you, is responsible to feed you. And he loves you, and he will feed you, and he will give you all that you need. And that we needed to feel that. And we needed to feel that really, really strongly. That's why, what was the test? The test was, are you still going to have this anxiety about what's going to be tomorrow? Or could you let go? Could you completely let go? And feel like a baby in your mother's arms. A tiny baby. The tiny baby doesn't have anxiety. Because you know you have a mom. And your mom is looking for you. We have a dad. A big dad. The master of the universe the creator of the cosmos, the one who continuously creates and creates all of existence from absolute nothing every second. So what's there to worry? He's going to give me. And therefore, if you put away, if you're kind of, what is it called, what's the word of it? Hoging? What's the word? There's a word for that. When you're, when you're stashing things away. You're, what? Hoarding. hoarding. Yeah, hoarding. Thank you. When you're hoarding and you're putting away things for tomorrow, that, that, that sense is a certain distrust Certain feeling of worriedness. That's the test. Can you rely on Hashem completely? Now, um, the Gemara, that's what the Medrash Tanchuma says. When it says, Dvar Yom Biyomo, I will give you day for day. Dvar Yom Biyomo, I will give you every day. The Medrash Tanchuma says like this. Hear these words. Misha bara Yom, bara Parnesaso. The one who created the day created its livelihood. Let me read that again. The one that created the day created its livelihood, created its sustenance. If you're alive today, God created your sustenance. Therefore, from here, the Talmud says, from here, the sage, let me tell you his name, Rebbe Lezer Hamadoi Oimer, from here, Rebbe Lezer Hamadoi says, Kol mi sheyesh yochal hayom, Anybody that has what to eat today, Va'oimar and he says, Ma what will I eat tomorrow? You hear this? If you had dinner tonight, fine. Your stomach is not growling. Relax. You're good. What's gonna be for breakfast? I don't have any credit card. I don't have a debit card. I don't have a dollar in my wallet. I don't have anything. So what's gonna be tomorrow? Well, anybody who's concerned, this is the, the Again, we're talking over here what the sages tell us. I know, let, let, let's, let, let, I know <laughs> that we're all thinking, wishful thinking, oh, how can one live like this? Let's first, add, but this is truth. This is truth. This is the MS. Now, how much can we live with that truth? That's a different story. But first, let's know what the truth is. The truth is anybody that has what to eat today and he's worried about what's going to be tomorrow. I'm not talking about, like I spoke a few weeks ago, financial security of what I'm going to do for a retirement fund. When I'm 70, 80 years old, what am I going to do? I'm not talking about that. We're talking about tomorrow. What happens then? This person is lacking faith. Because the true way to live, God created the day. God created its sustenance. He's got to be something wrong with him if he would create the world with all of his creatures and everything and not provide for them. If he created the day and he created you, he will provide. 
Okay? However, so that's the message of bread from heaven. Okay? However, we said earlier that it wasn't, if that's the case, if the point over here is that God is nurturing us and you can rely on Him, you have nothing to do, just rely, how come the man did have some bit of requirement of our participation? How come we did, we know that the Jewish people were required to be participants to a certain degree? When were we participants? We said earlier, some people that came to their door, some people they had to go out, some people that, but even the people who came to their door, after everything, they still had to go and pick it up. More than that, they had to eat it. If God is the one who's really, really sustaining you, completely, what does he need? What do you have to eat? Let him send the food directly into your bloodstream. Automatically. You don't have to eat. So you see, there was some involvement. We had to eat the food. And to some people had to prepare the food. Grind it. Others had to bake it. Okay, there were those who had the minimal effort, but there was some effort. Another thing. When it comes to the mon, the Torah uses an interesting term. The Torah says, I will make it rain for you. Hinini mamtir lochem. I will make it rain for you. Now we know an interesting idea. There are two types of influence of godly blessing that comes to the world in the form of water. Water is life. There are two types of godly influence coming from above. One is called rain and the other one is called dew. What's the difference between dew and rain? Dew is a moisture that comes completely from above and it's not at all dependent on anything coming from below. It's a wetness. It's a type of moisture that descends from above. You see, rain is different. Rain goes up first. The sun bakes up, heats up, causes steam, a vapor. As it says in the beginning of Bereshis, in Genesis, in Bereshis, the Eid Yalam and Aretz, there is a vapor that goes up, it forms clouds, clouds come and it's raining. Okay? So rain, so in concept, see these are, physically we just discussed the physics, the physics of it, but really psychologically in concept, they're also different. Rain represents something where God is giving you, but He's giving you based on your virtue, based on your deservance. Rain, uh, do, it says, the sages say an interesting thing about do. Do is completely God's gift from us, from Him to us. He's not expecting anything of us in order to give it to us. It's a pure matana, it's a pure gift. Now man, if I ask you the question, man, which is bread from heaven, does it belong in the rain department? Or does it belong in the do department? It definitely belongs to the do department. Because it's something that God is giving completely from above. You're not participating. You can lounge in your beach chair and you're getting your food. You're not a participant. And like we see, the man came with the dew. Every morning it came in a sandwich of dew. It's showing you that what is the man? A towel, a completely towel experience. Given from God from above because he wants to feed his children. So he wants. Totally love from above not requiring any reciprocation from below. He's giving. Yet, the Torah uses a strange term for the man. It doesn't say, I am bringing down man. It says, I will make rain man. Why is God saying, I will make rain? Rain seems to be the wrong term for man. When man comes completely from above. However, as we said earlier, in the man itself, we saw that there were certain requirements of some degree of participation. 
And what is the participation? Like we mentioned earlier, you have to go and collect it. Sometimes you have to grind it. There's differences between the people. So the gift is not just a gift for everybody equally. So you see that there is some kind of a, some kind of an involvement of the below. Some kind of a human interaction involvement in it. Why is that? So here's a very, very, very important idea. That was not for the sake of the man itself. That was, the man itself really, in essence, should be something that would come completely from above without any interaction of ours. The reason why the man did require some form of human participation, even though it was minimal, was because the man was also serving as a preparation and as a teaching and as a lesson for us when we move into the next stage of our development as a people. You see, we only spent 40 years in the desert. We, the Jewish people, have been around three and a half thousand years. What's going to be with the rest of the 3,460 years? I'm just giving an estimate. Well, then. What's going to be with the rest of the time? When we're not getting money from heaven. When we're not saying, Hamotzi lechem in hashamayim. What are we saying? Hamotzi lechem min haaretz. That means we all go out and you become a doctor and a lawyer and a this and a that and you have this store and that store and business and we're all engaged in commerce and business. We're all engaged in working for a living. What's, what's then? So it would be possible to say, well, it was nice to live in the desert. Now it's a different story. God says you're off on your own. Don't rely on me. Don't rely, don't rely on, on dad. I'm done. Now you're old enough to make a living. Go out, do it yourself. That's not the way it was. You see, the man is coming to really teach you a lesson. What is it coming to teach you? It's coming to re- teach you the lesson. That even when you're going out into the work force, into the work field, and you're going to be a farmer, whatever it is that you're going to be doing, to earn, to make your money and to make a living, I want you to remember one thing. It might appear as if the other sources of of the, of the world, whether it's the farm, the field, the agricultural state, or whatever other thing in your life that might be contingent, the economy, good economy, bad economy, so and so forth. There might be all kinds of other things that you might attribute your success and your livelihood to. You might be understanding that because it's lechem and aretz, now now you're really responsible for your livelihood, and you're the one who's to thank for your power. Remember one thing, it's still mon. Just like in the mon, it came completely from God, and there was no other source but Hashem. The same is now as well. Now what do we mean by this? Let's understand what we mean by this. Because we can read this wrong, I want you to understand this very clearly. What do I mean? What I mean by it is, it's not like, before it was man, now God is giving my, me my bread. But how is he giving me my bread? In the same way like he's giving bread to the rest of the world. The same reason that, that Chinamen in China are getting their, their, their parnasa. Japanese in Japan are getting their parnasa. Englishmen in England are receiving their parnasa. Jewish people, it was nice to live in God's playground in the desert. Now it's back to real life. We're going to be a nation like all other nations. We are going to operate like all other human beings. Receive our sustenance through the means of the world. Now God provides for everybody. God provides for even the smallest insect. So, and definitely God provides for, the human, for all human beings, including the Jewish people. Fine. 
So, but we too have to go through the same channels like everyone else goes through. Through. That is what we're trying to say is not true. And this is what we have to remember. We as Jews enjoy a unique and special connection to God. We are His deepest, deepest, innermost children. Hashem says to the Jewish people, You are my children. And therefore, here is the depth of it. Therefore, our existence is completely not natural. We are not part of the natural order. There is a natural order. There is a system. Yes, the system is powered by God, run by God, but there still is a system. We are not part of that system. We never were, and we will never will be, and we're not currently part of that system. And the fact that we're alive today has nothing to do with any natural explanations. That's why the whole world is uncomfortable with us. They still don't know what to do with us. The biggest problem in the world is those few settlements in Israel. That's like the biggest problem in the in humanity. You know why? Because we, we the Jewish people, are inside the kishkes. We are inside the kishkes, means into, in the gut of every human being in the world. Why? Because we remind the whole world in the reality of God. Consciously or subconsciously. Because our existence makes no sense. But here is the mistake that Jews make. We think that because our existence makes no sense, that's our existence as a people. No! Not the, your existence as a people. You as an individual. And not you, your entire life. You tomorrow, the day after tomorrow, today. Your dinner, your breakfast, your lunch. Guess what? It's the same bread from heaven. Oh, well, well, hold it. We're not making a moitzi lechem in Haaretz. We're making a moitzi lechem. Sorry, we're not making a moitzi lechem in Hashemayim. We're not saying, God, I'm thanking you for bread of heaven. We're saying, God, I'm thanking you for bread from earth. Yeah. There is a thin, thin, tiny little veil of earth covering it. But in essence, it's still bread from heaven. Especially during the time of exile. It's all the time. And in the time of exile, when Jews were like, the, the fifth Chabad Rebbe, the fourth Chabad Rebbe, the Marash said that the Parnassah during the time of Golos is Mamish Mon. The Tzemach Tzedek says that if a person would realize what's going on, he would realize that livelihood, that livelihood is one of the biggest miracles in the world, the same like the miracle of the Mon falling in the Midbar. It's pure miracles. And if we're willing not to fool ourselves and to open our eyes, we can see it all the time how there is such divine providence and such miracles. That doesn't mean that we're not supposed to do whatever we can to survive. But at the same time, know that the essence of our lechem in aretz, bread from earth, is really lechem in Hashemayim. It's really bread from heaven. It doesn't change. So, and and here, here, here is a real challenge. Here's a real challenge. You see, when you are in a situation where you need to trust in God. And why do you have to trust in God? Because you really, really, really have no one else to trust in. You, you're in a situation where you need to pay your bills. You're in trouble. You don't have a penny to your name. You don't know how in the world you're going to do it. What are you going to do? What, you have nowhere to go to. You have nothing to do. So then what's your mitzvah? Your mitzvah is to be totally calm, relaxed, and say, God, and talk to Him. Say, God, I trust in you. I know you will take care of me. And a miracle will happen, I guarantee you. 
you trust, and if you can bring yourself to a relaxed state, if you can bring yourself to your relaxed state, a miracle will happen. The Abishter will take care of you. God will take care. And it's for sure, without a doubt. So then, okay, that's bitachan. That's complete bitachan. And as we spoke so many times, the true meaning of trust is when you don't even have... Sometimes, you know, we're in situations and we're, we have this remote possibility. We called one person and we hope they'll call you back. Like someone who can help you. But yeah, you're thinking, yeah, they're busy. They're never going to call me back. There's no way that this person is going to give me this interview. Or there's no way that... But we, I made the phone call. I left the message on their answering machine. Hopefully they'll call me back. And yeah, so you have at least something. Real bitachon is when you don't even have that. Nothing. There's absolutely nothing. There's nothing that you can attribute your salvation. It's helping you in the state that you are. And guess what you do? You know that God... God is there to provide for you. That's bitachon. But guess what? Now we're asking for a much bigger bitachon. The much bigger bitachon is when you go to your business in the morning. And you do open up your shop. And you do reach out to customers. And you do do all the things that you're doing as a businessman exactly like your Gentile competitor who's doing the exact same thing. But you know... That the rules and regulations that your parnasa has nothing to do with your business. Nothing. Even though you're working a business, you're making a nile. It, it, it seems so counterintuitive. It seems so ridiculous. What I am saying seems to be totally insane. It's okay. This is a crazy rabbi teaching crazy teachings. But guess what? This is the truth. This is the MS. That even though it looks and it appears, and it seems, and I need to go through all the rules and regulations, I'm doing so, but guess what? I know absolutely that my food and my livelihood is exactly like the Jews in the desert. None less of a miracle, and God isn't any less involved, exactly, completely involved. And therefore, the, the success that I have to have doesn't have to be measured at all. Doesn't have to be measured at all by my business. Success can be on ways totally beyond. That's the true emunah, that's the true faith. However, here's the deal. How are the Jewish people able to connect these two extremes? Because it seems like these are two different realities. Life in the desert is one reality. Life in the land of Israel, and later, life in normal worldly living, are two separate realms. One of them is purely miraculous. The other one is totally natural. And we need to know that when I'm in the nature, my being that I'm a Jew and my existence is miraculous, that really my livelihood is completely a miracle coming from God and not at all attributed to anything I'm doing. So how can I connect these two realities? The answer is that's why God made them participate a little bit in the mind. The reason why God made them participate a little bit to work and grind so that they, can, so that they are able to connect these two distinct worlds that seem to be totally apart... The fact that they worked a little bit gave the two times, the midbar and the being in the land and going into normal existence, a certain, a certain attachment, a certain link, a certain uh, common denominator. There is something to connect them. Then we can carry in that truth that we lived in the desert into normal daily living and have, the, and have that clarity and that understanding. That's why they had to go through this. Now we'll understand the connection of man to Shabbos food. Because in Shabbos food, 
we have the exact same idea. And we'll do this very briefly because we have to conclude the class. Shabbos food we have. Again, what are the three things we have in month? Number one, it's totally miraculous, totally from God. Number two, involves a little bit some activity, some action. And the reason why it involves some activity is number three. So that the mon, which was totally godly, can serve as a, as a, as a, um, can serve as a reminder that even when we go into normal non-mon um, sustenance, we recognize that in truth and, in, and at its core, it's really a miracle. It's really godly. So these three things are exactly by Shabbos food. The law by Shabbos is that if let's say Shabbos is coming and you don't have anything to eat, you don't have money to buy food for Shabbos or to make food. You have, no, you have nothing. Your house is empty of nothing. There's an interesting halacha. The law is that you're allowed to go out and borrow. Say, oh, of course, I'm allowed to go out and borrow. No, but you know that you're, you're not supposed to borrow money from someone if you don't have ways to pay it back. If, you want, if you're really destitute, you have no choice, you can ask people for gifts. But are you allowed to go to someone and say, can you lend me you know, $500 and you know that you have no way to return this money and ask for a loan? That's being dishonest. You're not allowed to do that. There's one exception. For Shabbos, you're allowed to go. If you need Shabbos food, you have no money for Shabbos and you need, let's say, $100 to be able to make your Shabbos, you're allowed to go to someone and say, can you please lend me $100? And even though you know you don't have money to pay it back, God says, hear this, borrow on me and I'm going to pay it back. I'm, I'm, I'm taking, it's, it's on me, God says. I'm going to pay back the loan. That's the rule. You see clearly that when it comes to Shabbos food, it's a whole different cheshbon. God says, don't be, even, even this idea that you have to be so careful not to steal from someone else. You're halachically permitted. Even if you have no clue, you have no, it's not like tomorrow, next week you're starting to work and you can start saving money. You know, you have nothing. Let's say you're, you're for whatever reason, you have some kind of um, disability. You can't go to work. There's nothing you can do. And they cut off, uh, they, start, they, they cut off the, uh, the government funding. You, you, there's nothing. You have no hope whatsoever. And you have nothing to do. You're allowed to halachically go borrow on God that God will pay back. Okay. So you see clearly that what? That Shabbos food is, Hashem says, it's on me. It's a miracle. You don't have to have any explanation. I'll take care of it. It's a miracle. Same like man. But on the other hand, it involves a little work. What does it wear a little work? God, if God wants to take care of you Shabbos, why does he send you out to borrow money? <laughs> and then say, I'll pay you back. Why does Hashem do that? He, he can send you the hundred. Why does he have to tell you to go get the borrow the money and then I'll pay him back? Why? Because the same like the man, it involves a little bit of tircha, it involves a little bit of, 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 of toil. There's also another halacha. The res- this permission that you have, this is a very strange thing, but the permission you have to borrow on God's account is only if you have something to give for security. That means if you have, usually if someone gives you a loan and they need, they're scared you're not going to pay them and they need something, an item for security, so you give them an item, if you have something for security, you're allowed to give them the item. But if you have nothing to give for security, then you're not allowed to do it. So you're saying, eh, because just in case God won't pay, right? No, that's not the reason. Because when you are giving the object for security, you're not planning that the, that, that the security will be used as payment. You're, again, God tells you, who are you relying on? God says, borrow and I'm going to pay. I'm paying. 
But still, number one, you have to go look for a loan. Number two, you have to have at least something as security, which means there's some involvement of you in there, even though God is the one taking care of it. Why is this? Because Shabbos is the same idea of money. Shabbos is a day that what? That we are elevated to a higher place. The miraculous existence of the Jew is fully revealed on Shabbos. Shabbos, we're above nature, we're above the world, we don't involve ourselves in the world. You have to see like as if your work was all done on Shabbos, number one. However, since Shabbos also has to affect the weekday, that during the weekday when we are engaged and involved in all of our business work, we have to remember that even though I'm doing and making and whatever, all that I'm doing, it's not really that I really believe that this is my source of my income. My source of my life, Hashem, is only, only you, and I have no one else that takes care of me. I'm literally being spoon-fed by you, every penny, every bit of food that I have. In order for me to feel that during the week, I have to have some kind of a connection of Shabbos to the weekend. So in Shabbos food, we see this thing, that even though Shabbos God says it's on my account, on the other hand, just like the man that required that we should do something, Shabbos, this halacha, that God takes care of us and He's going to provide involves some bit of your participation. You have to have some security or you go out and look for the loan. This all helps us connect Shabbos to the weekend. But that is only, let's understand, both by the Mon and by Shabbos, that is only because Shabbos and Mon have to influence our weekday, have to influence our regular existence. Shabbos at its core and Mon at its core is, is at its essence, doesn't involve any bit of us. It's a pure gift from God that Hashem is giving us. That's why this law that you're supposed to borrow and then, and, then, and then Hashem will take care of you, will pay back, is only before Shabbos. On Shabbos itself, what's the halacha? What are you supposed to be on Shabbos? What kind of state of mind do you have to be in Shabbos? As if all your work was done. You're, you're so calm, you have no worries. Because your father is this multi-multi-billionaire. He has all the money in the world. And you have nothing to worry about. What are you worrying? He's going to take care of anything you need. He's going, to, he's going to be provided. That's on Shabbos. When we want to connect Shabbos to the weekday, then it's a little more difficult, it's a little more challenging. To live this way, the one that I'm talking about, is living truly as a Jew. The Tzemach Tzedek says, and I'm just going to conclude with this, that any person who wants to live like this has permission to live like this. Not only that, he says, it is the most admirable to live, the way to live, is to live only for your day. You have permission today to look around of where you're going to eat for today and not worry at all for tomorrow. He says a person, if they want and they feel uncomfortable, these are the words of the Tzemach Tzedek, if they feel uncomfortable, then you could, if you want, have food for a few days. <laughs> if you want, you could provide for a couple of years down the road. But you should know, these are his words, you should know it's because you're distancing yourself from God. If you really want to be intimate with your Creator, leave go of everything. Let God feed you daily. Daily. I said already to you in other times that Sadiqim lived this way. It's hard for regular people. You're only allowed to do it if you are able to be totally calm and not nervous and no anxiety. And you can smile and be happy to people even though you have no idea and be in a total good mood, then it's okay. If it's going to cause you to be this and that, then not. but the truth is, God definitely provides all the time. 
But one thing we do have to learn from all of this is the over-stressing and anxiety and this old obsession of taking care of ourselves for the rest of our life. And this and that, that's part of the American klipa. It's part of the concealment and darkness that's covering up on our Jewish spirit and on our Jewish soul. We really in truth need to know that God does take care of us, provides for us. And when you live that way, it's mamish stress-free living. It's unbelievable. May we merit to all be able to live in that, at least know of that ideal, and eventually, slowly but truly, bring ourselves into that, into that reality. Because then we are truly testimonials of God in this world, because everything in our life is truly a miracle. May we see the biggest miracle of all, the coming of Mashiach, may it happen now. Do you see this? Do you see this?